God and thank, thank you, Allison, for reading this scripture. Uh, my name is Zhenya, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'll be spending the morning with you today. Our senior pastor, Lance, is uh, taking a couple of weeks of vacation. Uh, and knowing Lance, I'm pretty sure he's right now somewhere in a very comfortably air-conditioned environment, <laughs> getting the rest that he needs before our fall programming with all of the activities and ministries going to get uh, back up in September. If you are a guest in our church today, for whatever reason, maybe it was a baptism and you just decided, you know what, I will join this congregation today in worship, and you just read the scripture and heard it, and you wondered, what a cheerful church this must be. <laughs> Whoa, the songs were all right. The baptism of the baby was absolutely precious. The celebration of the fruitful ministry of Lisa was wonderful. And here, this is how they wrap it all up. <laughs> That is something. Well, maybe that's why Lance decided to go on vacation. He was like, I'm going to let somebody who is less cheerful and less funny handle this text. Uh, so, book of Ecclesiastes, the change in the tone and the change in this whole theme, even though we are in the same sermon series, we are talking about wisdom that we find in the uh, Hebrew Bible. We are switching from the book of Proverbs. That was very good. I love the book of Proverbs. Each time I read it, I have a lot of things that I highlight. I have a lot of things that I feel like, oh, I really should memorize that, and I never do, but I feel like it. Um, and when we get to the book of Ecclesiastes, this, which is also wisdom literature. There is a lot of wise stuff in there. The change of tone is almost shocking. Uh, and first of all, what kind of a name of a book is that? Ecclesiastes. Whatever language that is, that's not English, right? <laughs> I don't think that is English. So you may wonder, what happened? Isn't the job of the Bible translators is to translate the Bible into the normal language of people that can understand it? So why did they give up and just left this word as the title of the book? It's called Ecclesiastes. Well, um, in Hebrew, it would be called Kohelet. Doesn't help, right? Nope, it doesn't. What it means is um, somebody who is calling an assembly, somebody who is inviting people to come and be together, somebody who wants to be in the gathering of people. That's the meaning of it. And so I can imagine that there was a long meeting, a lot of committee members were there, and they were trying to figure out how do we translate it into English. Well, the Greeks figured out how to translate it from Hebrew to Greek, so they got to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesia, some of you church nerds are already nodding your heads, you know where I'm going. The rest of you, that's going to be okay. From Ecclesia, we get to Iglesia. Samuel, please give me a smile. Thank you. I knew I could do that one. And that, so that is uh, the word that became uh, what we now say church congregation. All of that is the same, uh, the same connected words. Uh, so the Greeks got to Ecclesiastes, a guy that has something to do with an assembly. The English people gave up. So here we go. We've got a book of Ecclesiastes. And in the first verse, we say the words of the teacher. So if you would read it in a Greek or a Hebrew, you would find here the word Kohelet, or in Greek would be Ecclesiastes. Um, in English, they put the teacher in there. Some of you may have a different version of the Bible, and maybe you have a better way of describing that it's a person who is speaking to an assembly. 
It's a person who does have something to say, but wants to say it in the presence of people. And the people, not the ones that will just sit there and agree and say, absolutely, that is true. That is how we all feel, because that's what happens with assemblies, right? You put people in the room together, and they're all of the same mind, and they all have the same experience, and they all have the same feelings about everything. No, he invited people into an assembly where he intended to be very honest, where he intended to be very transparent, maybe even vulnerable in some portions of that book, but he also invited people to an assembly for them to participate and maybe even enter into a conversation with him. And that is why the author of the book chose this title, the teacher of an assembly, the leader, the gatherer of people. And so he starts. He starts with the, uh, in verse 2. That is how he opens his speech. What a way of get to getting people's attention. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Another troublesome translation. By the way, if you have another, a Bible that has some other translation in it and they don't agree with what I'm reading, that's just uh, a sign that people who were working on these translations were struggling and they couldn't come to the same agreement. So you can find uh, another Bible's translation of this word as out of utility, vapor of vapors, because the, the original meaning of the word is this puff, a movement of air. The air is moving, but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't achieve anything. And once it stops moving and it's gone, nothing has changed. Uh, I have seen translations as perfectly pointless. Everything is perfectly pointless. Emptiness, absurdity, that is what this word encompasses that a lot of our Bibles call vanity. So uh, one time uh, I was at the lecture of this amazing uh, biblical scholar, uh, Elsa Thomas, and she was uh, explaining the book of Ecclesiastes to us. And she was so good and so deep and entertaining. And then afterwards I got to uh, sit at the table with her during lunch, and of course I put a lot of of effort and strategy into it to make sure that I get to her table. And at the table, uh, and she spent probably 40 minutes talking about the, just one word, which we translate as vanity. And I, uh, during the lunch, I said, I have one question. How would you translate it? You gave us like one million options. What would you call it? And she chuckled and she said, well, that's why it's not in my book, because it is so inappropriate, nobody would ever publish it. And then she said the word, and of course I can't repeat it because it's highly inappropriate. It may start with the letter B, and it may have a letter S in it. I'm not going to say anything else anymore. And so that is how the gatherer of this assembly is starting his, his discourse. And what does he have to say? What does he offer to people to engage them? Verse 3. What do people gain from all the toil, from all of their work? What do people gain at which they toil under the sun? He looks at everybody and he says, I'm going to start with something that every single one of you can relate to, because everyone works. You find ways to be productive, to be busy. That's just our nature. We're just wired to wake up in the morning. 
Our bladders are designed that way, you know, we, we have to get up. And then once you get going, you find ways to do things. And so he says, what's the point of all of it? What's the point of work? What do you gain from it? I like to see some suspicious looks. I wonder if he also kind of expected that that's how people will react to him. And in his mind, it's all pointless. And then he goes on and on, and he describes that, look at this big picture of God's creation. Look at this magnificent way of God setting our creation, our nature into the cycles of life that are so much bigger than us. What can every single one of us contribute to the vastness of creation? Well, if you put it that way, then maybe not much, but I don't usually think about it when I am evaluating my own work and what I do, but all right, I can go with it. And then uh, look at the, uh, verse 8. All things are wearisome, more than one can express. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. Yeah, we say that it's never enough. There is always something that we see that we want, that we don't have, and we can never be filled. I agree with that. But that may be the drive to do better, to do more, to work harder, I think, as I sit in his assembly. In verse um, 11, he says, the people of long ago are not remembered, nor will there be any remembrance of people yet to come by those who come after them. Excuse me? Aren't we reading your stuff centuries later and discussing it? Maybe you may be a little bit wrong in that. Some things that we leave for our generations do matter and are remembered and treasured and valued and passed on, just like the baptismal gown. Okay, I knew I'm going to cry, and here we go, I cry. Several generations. Of, Duke, of the family of Duke were baptized in that baptismal gown that I was holding today. Things do matter. Little things do have value when we understand it and when we treasure it. And so we go on and we continue to listen to Ecclesiastes. And here in verse 12, he finally tells us a little bit more of who he is. Because in order to understand in person, it usually helps to know who he is, where is he coming from? And he says, well, I was a king over Israel in Jerusalem. Uh, very important detail. Um, do I sense a little bit of privilege then in his conversation about the work is pointless? Well, how much have you worked as the king over the whole Israel? And what kind of work did you do? I'm sure there was a lot of work involved, but it was probably different from the kind of work that I am experiencing or some of you may experience. And then he says, I applied my mind to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to humans to be busy with. And so he says, I've done what I was naturally wired and designed to do, which is to learn and to understand. And I found that that's, that makes me unhappy. Well, Maybe you should change the news channel. Maybe you should change the conversation partners. Maybe 
You should apply your knowledge and your observation skills and look for things to be grateful for. The practice of being grateful is quite transformative. I wonder if he would benefit from that. And so in the verse 18, of course, a person that spent so much time in school, I can so relate to that one. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and those who increase knowledge increase sorrow, he says. Yes, yeah, you learn some hard things. Well, what are we supposed to do with all of that? I think what we are supposed to do is to be in an assembly with this uh, person and voice our view on things, because that's what he's inviting us to do. He calls us into an assembly. So who would I invite? Well, the first people that came to my mind are people with whom I spend every week in very deep conversations. It's my grace group. And I know that there is a person in that grace group that probably would nod his head and say, yeah, I get that. I feel like this guy sometimes. Yeah, uh-huh. But then I would definitely have a couple that would say, and I absolutely disagree. And then list all the blessings that they have experienced just by waking up in the morning. And then I can see another person say, I disagree as well, because I find so much joy and meaning in the exploring new things and learning something new, and putting myself in these new environments and situations where I can feel the fullness of life, they would probably bring something interesting into that assembly. I would also invite my mother into this assembly, and knowing my mom, she would not be quiet. Oh no, she would probably let this person finish, because she is polite, uh, but she would have something to say. You see, my mother was born in a very small village in Siberian forest. And it was a village in the forest because it didn't even have a road that came to it. It was an isolated community where the survival of the community literally depended on the physical work of people growing and gathering everything that they need to eat, to keep warm during the winter, to keep their animals alive. That was what the entire life was, around, uh, was about survival. And it just happened that my mom had very poor health, and she was never physically strong. And she was also afraid of big cows, and for some reason she was afraid of chickens. I don't know. I've never seen a Siberian chicken. Maybe they're different. I've never lived in that part of the world. I just heard about them. And she was terrified of Siberian chickens. So it was very hard for her family to find something for her to do. She couldn't lift things. She couldn't take care of the animals. She couldn't work in the farm. And so her mom Mother, with a lot of pity and kind of feeling sorry for her girl, kept telling her, you know what? Your only way out is education. And my mom took it, and she heard the tone of pity in her mother's voice, but she also said, you know what? Maybe that's the case. Maybe the pursuit of this wisdom is something for me to consider. And so she looked around the village, and she just asked herself, is there here somebody? in this village who is living a life but doesn't have to take care of the Siberian chickens and Siberian cows and try to keep yourself warm during the Siberian winter. And there was one person, and that person was the teacher. There was a teacher that, was, uh, that lived in the community that didn't have to do all that other work, but she was teaching the kids. And so my mom said, I want to be like her. 
And plus, my mom remembers to this day that that lady, that teacher, had really fancy shoes. <laughs> of course, they were fancy for people who live in Siberian forests, but my mom remembers them. And she wanted to be that. She said, there is a way out for me, and that will be in education. And she did pursue it with quite a different attitude than the guy in Ecclesiastes. And she pursued it, and she graduated with a bachelor's in, a, uh, in a Russian literature and language, and then she went back to school and got her master's in early childhood education. And by her example, she inspired her brother, who was quite capable of taking care of Siberian cows and chickens, to consider another path. And he did, and he went to law school. And he became one of the most prominent persecutors in the metroplex, on, in the, one of the largest metroplexes in Western Siberia uh, territory called Novosibirsk. So, if you ask my mother, she will probably tell you that, yeah, a whole lot of things in life are pointless, and honestly, a distraction, but something that worked for our family, that was very meaningful, and transformed and changed the life journeys for all of us, education. I would also like to invite into the assembly where Ecclesiastes opens with his discourse, Pastor Mike. I think that we would all enjoy having Pastor Mike in that assembly. I was very blessed on Friday to be able to just sit in the back and uh, celebrate the life of one of our church members that passed away. And she was everything that shows you how much joy you can find in life. And so, as somebody who's been reading Ecclesiastes all week and then listening to Mike during that service, I jotted down some things that are important, that make a difference, that are worth mentioning at this service where your life is being celebrated. And those things are acts of kindness, the ability to have fun and help others have fun and not take themselves so seriously. So what? You're a recent college student trying to impress everybody on campus. You're going to get some footsie pajamas from your aunt and you're going to wear them. <laughs> and that is what is remembered when your life is celebrated. It's the relationships, it's the friendships, it's the moments where people found time to laugh and to enjoy the company of each other. It's the generosity, the kindness and the generosity that was described with an adjective, Texas. It's not just big generosity, it's a Texas-sized generosity that that person brought into the life of your family and your friends. That will be remembered. That will be celebrated. And so I would think that this guy, Ecclesiastes, who wrote for us his thoughts down, he would probably enjoy listening to some others in his assembly. And after all is being said and done, he would wrap up that assembly with the very last verses in his book. If you still have your Bible open, you can flip to chapter 12. Verses 13 and 14. After hearing everybody, Mike, my mom, members of my grace group, I would imagine that Ecclesiastes still would say, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, 
For that, that is the whole duty of everyone. Fear God, not in the sense of be afraid of God, revere, worship God, recognize God's greatness and goodness. Celebrate that. And that applies to all humankind. Doesn't matter where you are in your life journey. You may be going through a season in life where everything does seem to be pointless, where you are so disillusioned, so disappointed, I would say even hopeless, that the words of Ecclesiastes do resonate with you. But also, you may be in a season of life where everything that you worked for so hard is finally coming to fruition and you are celebrating it. You're grateful. You continue to work on it. Wherever you are in your season of life, however you experience the life around you, whatever it is that you, that whatever emotions you're feeling through the day, Ecclesiastes says that it does not matter. What matters is you worshiping God, you being aligned with God's grace and with God's purpose for every single one of you. And then he says, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. The final voice that will say what is pointless and what is valued belongs to God. And until then, we are all invited to be in the community, to be together, and continue to worship. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, I thank you that in your wonderful design, you have instilled in us a need to be in the presence of one another. You have brought us together and you have allowed us in different ways to share different aspects of our lives and be more blessed, feel richer, feel fuller because of having each other in our lives. I thank you, God, for the gift of having a church. And now I invite all of you to pray the prayer that Jesus taught all of his disciples to say with him, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.